Well, uh, Mike, you've lived in Austin for a while now, and I wonder what drove you there in the first place. Was it just the music scene, or is it something else about that city that, that made you want to be there? The music scene, for sure. The band, we were out of Denton, and all the other guys wanted to move down here, and it was a cooler, more fun place to be. Honestly, I was dragging my feet because I get... it. Denton is an awesome town, but it was... It, there's a little bit of a velvet rut in that, like we were kind of like, you know, popular ish there. And it's a small town. It kind of felt, it felt, it was a little too comfortable to be like, kind of like the graduating class of people in that town. And it was, it would have been real easy to stick around and kind of get stuck in there, but the rest of the band wanted to move in. It was, it was definitely the right decision, but it was for sure. Denton gets real small. It's a really good place to like practice and, get good and do shows but moving to austin there was just so much like with the the movie scene and the music scene and then like later with like comedy and stuff and like none of that really i mean there's a little music scene in denton but it's you're pretty isolated still so is is there a sense of community amongst the music scene in austin i mean it's pretty well known austin is one of those weird cities in that it's one of the few places that's kind of universally beloved if you ever tell somebody oh yeah. I, I, i'm from austin or i'm going to austin you know everybody's got their story oh that's the greatest place yeah is it a tight-knit community amidst the creatives who live there because there's such a diverse yeah kind of eclectic bunch of music when we first moved in and I, I keep I, I can't remember if Foddy and the Gamblers is the is the historian and he remembers numbers and I always I can't remember, but it's been a good like 15 years, I think. The kind of punk slash garage rock uh scene that we we really started in there it was fairly tight knit and we but we were still kind of like interlopers at the time, but it was fairly tight knit-ish. But once you start touring you kind of start to lose touch with everything. And, and for a long time, the gamblers, like right around the time we moved there, within like a year of moving there, we kind of got to where we were on tour five, six months out of the year, if not more on some years. And you kind of lose touch and you kind of like don't, there's all, you get back and there's just these new bands that are like hot and you don't know everybody. And there's so many people like moving in and out. And so... It was it was bigger, so it wasn't as tight as Denton. Because so, Denton, we you knew every single band like of any genre. Everybody pretty much knew each other, and everybody probably was at most of everybody else's shows. And there was a lot of crossover in people playing in like different types of bands and stuff. So it definitely was like a bigger world. And 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 moving to Austin and like oh these are the these people have egos and these people don't talk to those people and us kind of coming in in the middle of this thing that was already there and kind of trying to navigate who was what. And then you start touring for a whole, you know, we started touring really quickly and all of a sudden it was like, oh, I don't even know you get back and you don't know what the new rivalries or the new places are. And it, it yeah, it all moved pretty fast. Was it a shock to the system? Because Denton is a good music scene. Um, yeah. But was it a shock to the system? How, how, how do those two scenes differ, Denton, which for people who don't know is, is kind of northern suburban? Yeah, it's about, about 30 minutes north, 45 minutes north of Dallas and Fort Worth. Um, well, Denton's a little college town, but for whatever reason, it's produced a lot of really cool bands. Uh, many to like national acclaim and stuff like that it's just like this town where you you're just doing it it was real cheap to live there and you're just doing it to do it at first like we definitely were just doing shows like there was no and i think i can speak for the rest of the guys there was like a yeah that'd be really cool if we put out a seven inch one day or we'd put out a, a thing one day there wasn't really any kind of business acumen or any kind of like oh this is how you get booked at a club we just didn't know I mean, there's only like one or two clubs in town and then we were doing house shows and so it was our friend's houses. So we were doing it there. So there was a lot of a lot of business stuff that at the time, like maybe I thought like, oh, it's lame that, you know, about having a publicist. <laughs> Why would you, you know, like and, and there is a bit of lameness. Just there's there's a certain type of band and I didn't seem so much from Austin as much as like Austin. It felt like, OK, we're really serious about making 
bands and, and, and doing stuff and being busy. And it'd be cool if we were successful. We're going to also like dip our toe into that. Whereas like Dallas, it felt like a lot of these Dallas bands were like, yeah, I don't really care what we sound like. I just want to be famous. And how do we get on a major label now before we've written any songs? We've got haircuts. We've got the cool haircuts. Right. And we got the cool clothes. Uh, now we just need a major label that's down to put us out and then we'll write some songs. And it felt like that was sort of the attitude. And it was just so backwards. Austin had a little bit more of like, oh, this is how you actually go do stuff and, you know, get a little bit more serious about it and get some attention from it's hard to get attention from Denton at the time. I think Denton's a little bit more. There have been enough waves of bands to come out of Denton that it's this recognized as this incubator or like cultivating town. But definitely we were and we were in the middle of of all that. But there's been a, like a lot of bigger bands have come out of Denton since then, like the the Parquet Quartz guys and stuff like that. So um and then the, i think the the marked man and radioactivity and do you feel um closely associated with texas i, I i'm i'm fascinated by this always because so many of my favorite artists are from texas and i grew up in san antonio but i kind of fled it and um so much of my favorite things about myself are things that i can trace back to being from texas yeah and so many of the things that i feel appalled by politically yeah. and everything else comes out of texas it's this really interesting dichotomy and i just wonder if you feel as conflicted about your home state as i do for sure like the there's so much such a bummer there's so, especially now there's so much like just dumb bummer gun trump bullshit in this state and it's and it just keeps it's weird talking to people from other places and realizing what a very Southern version of religion that was always kind of beat down on me and how that really affected me as, as opposed to people who are from other places, because you didn't even have to go to church. If you were a kid that grew up in Denton, Texas, let's say like you definitely felt all those like Baptist vibes, you know, everything is kind of, it's very, your teachers are going to be real, you know, kind of religious. And there's going to be that sort of microaggression, sort of uh, side-eyed dogma. It's not like, right. I mean, there's a little bit, there's definitely some like in your face of like, you are going to hell because you own a Motley Crue record or whatever. But there's also, there's also a lot of like subtle, like, I'm going to, I'm going to smile and give you this hot dog. Cause it's, it is a cookout, but I just, I, I'm, I know you're going to hell and I'm just going to kind of smile while I know that you're a heathen, a heathen childhood. So growing up around all that stuff, it definitely shapes you. I mean, I definitely, this weird kind of like we smile and we look nice, but we also are kind of filled with fear and hate. <laughs> well, and it's permeated. I mean, it's work you even do today, and we'll get to talking about the McEwens later, but it's funny. I, I, I can see where that made an impression on you. Yeah, yeah. It's still, yeah. You're still working out, I mean, not only religion, but like some of just those weird societal norms. And, and I think punk was just really like, well, was, I mean, musically, it was like more accessible because like metal, which I was really into and it was so like complicated and I felt like, well, that's what you have to be a made of magic and genius. And you have to, that just comes. So like punk was sort of easier to figure out like musically and like actually playing. I mean, I, I can't speak for everybody because definitely Denton is just like cool art town where all this cool art stuff's happening. But as a townie, it sort of felt like, yeah, art is for weird people and you shouldn't really, you know, that's not something practical that you could do you know and so i grew up like liking all this art stuff but it was just really really not appreciated and i think there's like a self-loathing to that to this day that i'm still involved in in those things this is a part that's like uh, i really should learn how to work on computers or something i'm going to take a quick step back i want to pick up there in just a minute but i should introduce you our guest today is musician, actor, and comedian Mike Wiebe. He's probably best known as the charismatic frontman for punk rockers, the Riverboat Gamblers, 
which Spin Magazine called one of the 15 best live bands in the world and who Bruce Springsteen name dropped in his autobiography. Mike's also the face of rock supergroups High Tension Wires and Draculas, and he's one half of comedy duo The McEwens. He's a stand-up comic, he's written and performed in movies, and he's currently hosting at least two must-listen podcasts, and I do want to talk about all of that in just a minute. But first, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. Tell me a little bit about your encounter with Springsteen, because I've heard of it, but I haven't really heard it recounted fully. How does it happen that you get name-checked by the boss? Uh, well, we we played, we were opening up for Against Me, and I guess Bruce Springsteen's kid was a real big Against Me fan, and we were playing in the Starlight, I think it's called Starlight Ballroom. Starland, Starland, Starland in New Jersey, which is like one of his haunts or whatever. And we were all goofing before the show, like, oh, it'd be funny if he showed up. Let's put him on the guest list. <laughs> and then like, but he totally did show up. And I was so nervous because, you, you, you know, you walk out and you see like this icon because he's like kind of. He's like a cartoon person of like, you're not real, you know, <laughs> right. like and I we've been I mean, I've gotten to meet a lot of my like punk rock hero tons of my punk rock hero most of them even and but this was like a a bigger than that like my parents know who this the fact that my parents know who this person is and could identify a picture of him it was just bizarre to be getting on stage and know like you know he's one of the most famous live performers in in the world so we're up there and, and we're going all out and the whole time in my head like i'm it's, it was a packed room but i'm completely basically performing for him in the corner of the room i didn't know what to do so at the very end of the set i was like i gotta do something to make it special for the boss so at the end i just i blew him a kiss and uh he just and i was like oh no you did not just blow the boss a kiss so we get off stage and uh i go and start pounding alcohol <laughs> and um and it was just like oh my god i can't believe i did that and then after the show people were like hey bruce springsteen's back he wants to meet everybody and we were like and i did a couple more shots and i'm super lit and i'm walking back and he's walking past me that we were there was some sort of back and forth to get to like the big room where against me was staying and as we go past he goes like hey man uh between me and you and james brown we're the hardest working men in show business and i'm just like I'm drunk, first of all, and just like floored. And like, of course, I know that he doesn't mean that he's he's given the uh, he's he's given the little little kid a little little boost there. But um, so I'm super I'm mean, like reacting to that. And all of a sudden people are like forming up to take a photograph and someone hands me a camera. And right before I, I took the picture. So I'm starting to say the phrase, say cheese. And then somewhere in in the process of the words coming out of my mouth of uh, the, the phrase say cheese, I realized like, oh, that's, that's, no, that's lame, man. That's, that's Bruce Springsteen. You got to come up with something baller to say to the boss. So I'm like, I don't know what else. I'm going through my brain Rolodex. And the only thing else I had, and there was for some reason, my mom used to always say, say pickles. And then I'm like catching myself at during the word pickles and realizing pickles isn't good so it came out that i go like all right everybody say pickles and it was just this kind of everybody looked at me super just dead silence and then the lone voice of bruce springsteen goes pickles and i took the photo and that was my my moment with the ball and then so yeah it was so weird like you know like i don't know like 15 years later 10 years later something like that 12 years later he he just mentioned that, you know, that young that, that young people are getting into his music and that he was did this show and talks about how his kids are a fan of against me. And it made him feel like, you know, how he felt when he was seeing stuff and how all us, you know, all the band guys were so like it was real funny because his kid and his kid's friend were just looking at all against me like, oh, my God. And on the, all all us band people were just like wow bruce like it was just this room full of people with slack jaws except for bruce who was just cool as a fucking cucumber so that was with uh the gamblers and i know you've talked at length over the years about the gamblers so i, I won't dominate all of our time with that today but i'm curious about 
if there was a moment that you realized, oh shit, this is like a real thing. I mean, where is the point between playing house parties in Denton and say pickles yeah. to the boss? It was pickles. It was literally pickles. <laughs> I have, well, I have low self-esteem. So I, I think everything I sort of think is like, <laughs> well, this is just a thing that's not going to work. Cause even then, like, even when some of the biggest, like most successful gamblers years, you're still like always struggling. Like I definitely never hit that monetary level with any creative stuff that was like oh this is a thing to do but then it's weird like lately kind of like taking a step back and looking at like careery kind of stuff and they're like yeah i never did i've always had to like kind of grind on a multiple things but maybe that's it for everybody like i realized like yeah but i guess it is more than a hobby because i have been on the road for like you know if you added it up together like a you know a couple years worth of you know life uh, on the road and stuff like that so i think it's honestly been recently that it started to dawn on me that like oh i still get to do this stuff and there's still people that are interested in it and it i'm gonna keep doing it. like there's no it's, i'm not it's just not gonna stop like there's no there's no like world that I'm not having like a creative thing that's dominating most of my life. If I've made it this far, cause I'm, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm 28 years old now and uh, no, I'm 45 now. And to be like, I don't know. It's, it's, I honestly, it's been in this last like pandemic year of just thinking, wow, like I've still actually been doing stuff. Just it, this isn't just a, a hobby. Like this is kind of like, I'm stuck. There's no, there's no, there's no getting out of this. Like I can't, there's no, I'm too old to go, to go straight at this point. Like I'm, I'm institutionalized, <laughs> man. I'm too, too far, far gone. gone. I'm Morgan Freeman. Even if I'm working in the supermarket, I got to run into that bathroom stall just to feel those cold walls around me. Cause I've been, that's, that's where most of my life is, man. Was it music that drew you to music? That sounds like a weird question. Or was it the energy? It was energy for and sure. The rebellion of the, yeah. the punk scene specifically. It was def like there's not an alternate reality where you're a folk singer no. or a DJ or a rapper. You're like, this was I'm into this because of the the raw. Yeah, the it was pure it. raw energy because I didn't grow up with music and I didn't I didn't I think I played saxophone for like a a year or two in the junior high but it was again it was very i don't i didn't learn anything from it i to be honest with you i don't think that any of that found foundation made its way to when i started doing music but it was all just there was some really cool awesome live bands uh there's a band called brutal juice from from denton that were one of the coolest to this day, one of the coolest live acts I've ever seen. Like it was just fucking wild. And like, and they had really good songs too, but kind of just really cool songs in theater. But there was also like the crowd was real wild. It was definitely like, I want to do that. I, I started like badly playing guitar and like singing in bands and, you know, like, well, if we can make people laugh and be loud and noisy and ha have it be kind of crazy. So it was years later that like, actually like writing songs and actually like no this neat you know trying to i i i very slowly learned the music part of it and i to say learned i shouldn't say that in past tense i like learning to this you know there's still everybody i play with is a way better musician than me i i definitely lucked out with people that can help figure out my goofball ideas and stuff like that well, it's so interesting to hear you say that because I hear a pretty diverse palette of music. You know, so Dracula's put out a record last year, Terminal Amusements, and there's a lot of stuff on that that sounds dramatically different yeah. than Gamblers or High Tension Wires. And I just wonder about how, on the one hand, you can kind of profess, um, you know, not to be that musically inclined. On the other hand, you're capable of writing a pretty wide array of different sounding 
songs? I mean, how does, how, how are you, are you writing songs for Dracula's any differently than you might have been writing songs for the gamblers? Um, like I, I definitely write or try to write a little bit knowing who's going to play on them, you know, and, and, and each, each band member or each band has a different way of articulating uh, or taking what I say, what I'm trying to go for and figuring out. And I've, I've worked with a lot of these guys for so long that I can kind of do that. And, and, and on it, and, and that's for the stuff that I'm bringing in, cause I'll bring in uh, a thing that I've written and go like this, but they bring in stuff too. Like, I'll, like there's, there's, really good writers and i'll usually write all the vocal melodies and lyrics around that and and do my job in arranging but some songs are more them than me you know that have gotten brought in um but it's all so it's all super collaborative and it's it's definitely changed over the years too i know that if i can express an idea well enough that those guys can play it better you know like that they're going to be able to play it play it way better especially on guitar stuff because i write on guitar so i'll i'll kind of go in and and explain what it is but i definitely sometimes you know like like i've got this i've been playing this and we'll get the band together and i'll be the one playing and it just sounds so goddamn awful like i'm (laughs) i'm a very sloppy guitar player i I, i'm a better writer than i am player for sure like I, i don't think i could ever really like Maybe there's a couple stylistic bands that I could kind of fit in or whatever, but like all those guys could easily just jump into like a number of other bands and just kill it. So you've almost succeeded a little too much to where you're now surrounded know, with right? such good musicians that your 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 chances of picking up a guitar. Yeah, are... yeah, for sure, for sure. They're all they're all super pros, and um, but I mean, I, there's some stuff that I've written that's like soloy. I don't know what I don't know what it's going to be, but it's it's very like, yeah, I think I will play guitar on that because it's kind of intended to sound damaged and or whatever. So it's just not it's not meant for those bands. But but I think that's maybe something I've gotten a little bit better that like, ooh, there's this thing. This thing's going to sound really good when Ian or Foddy and the gamblers play it or oh, this thing's going to sound really good when when Zach plays it or or whatever, you know. Or like, oh, this this synth line is this is a good idea, but if I get Mark on this, it's gonna sound like really cool, you know. Or drum drummer wise too, like. And I'm very bad at. I've, I'm lucky to have had got to play with some really good drummers. There's always been a real performative element to what you do. You're kind of you're kind of famous as being um, you know, an electric front man you fractured a rib and collapsed a lung i yeah. think at south by southwest one year draculas takes the performative element to a kind of a different level you want to talk a little bit about the concept behind the yeah band? um i want to do a band that wasn't so much me i guess um not that every gambler song is like from the deep dark soul of mike weeby but there is i wanted i needed like a focus and the focus being like well it's a comic booky gangs of the 1970s new york but we know i never say new york it's just like a metropolis it's essentially what i thought new york city was like when i was about eight or nine years old and i'd never left the uh denton dallas area (laughs) like so it, it was literally like the opening of Welcome Back, Cotter, like the, the, the title sequence of Welcome Back, Cotter and like bits of the Warriors, the movie, the Warriors, and maybe like bits of like the French Connection, but all these little bits of stuff that was shot in New York around there. And some of it being like a decade or so old, you know, stuff that had finally made it to like network TV and just these little eye grabs. And in my head, you know, New York City was just this really just decadent, dirty, futuristic place. And I've never really I've never really followed exactly how rock operas work, you know? So it's not a rock opera. There's not like a as of now, there's not a super linear storyline. Like I'll kind of come back to characters. And then the other thought I had though was like the rock opera thing seems so heady and kind of like inaccessible that it's like it needs it needs to like 
I want everyone to like all these songs without knowing any of this backstory and, and without, yeah. you don't, I don't want people to need to have to know that. Well, it's like almost like you created a universe and then, and then can populate it. It's almost an anthology, yeah. right? I mean, there's all kinds of different stories that exist within this Dracula, this welcome back Cotter. Yeah, the totally, universe. totally, totally. And, and you know, the rules being too of like, well, it needs to be from these different characters' point of view. So I need to have an idea of who's singing, or not singing, they're not singing these songs, but I need to have an idea of who this character is that this song is either about or they're, the words they're saying. I need to know that. And so, and two, like the rules of like, well, it has to reference things that exist in that world. Like it can't reference like, I got on my iPad and and emailed my you know like there's no I you know it's it's of it's of a time the technology is of this kind of era ish so there's that performative element um there's there's the the music element there's like there's a comedy thread that ties into all this too which I think actually goes way far back if if my research is correct I think your first band was Clovis yeah. Mitchell, which was actually wow. more of a comedy band. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me about comedy a little bit. And if if it was something that maybe even as a teenager you were interested in, it's followed you all the way here. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, I didn't do stand up until I was like in my mid 30s, probably. So I just started that like stand up way later. But yeah, I think that I mean, that that first band Clovis Mitchell was me and my buddy, Mike Searcy and a drum machine. And it was definitely, he could kind of, he could play, he could play. Okay. And he could sing. Okay. And I could not play at all. And I could <laughs> not sing at all. And it was definitely more for, for jokes. Like all the songs were, were really silly. And I think, you know what, I did do stand up a couple times in high school and I was just really intimidated by it. And then, I moved away to Santa Fe. And then when I moved back to Denton, there was just wasn't a stand-up scene. I'm sure I would have been doing it all the time if there was like a scene like there was here. But I mean, even if you're doing something serious, like a serious movie or a serious song, like there, sh there should just always be a sense of humor for the most part. You need something to, that's, it's like, you know, build tension and then relieve tension. So like, that's the, the flux and flow that's I think is pretty important so yeah it just seems weird to me like the weird like super like death metal bands that like it would be very hard to not acknowledge that there's something funny about the fact that like yeah you're singing about uh you know Nordic gods who have decimated the earth but like you also had to sit down and put on makeup and, and the fact that they are also some not all of them but some of them are also humorless about that. The fact that like, right. And I guarantee you like all those bands have to have had like one conversation where they're like, you know, if uh, you know, I, I'm fine with, uh, you know, the band paying for the corpse paint, but if Sven is going to use three times as much corpse paint as the rest of us, then I, I think that, you know, Sven should be, you know, we need to dock his pay. Some like super serious about these guys who have exclusively seen, you know, written songs about uh, necrophilia or whatever. And then they, like, they have to have this really serious conversation about the budget of corpse paint. It's so funny to me. Were you into stand up as a kid? Yeah, definitely. But there wasn't, you know, again, like Denton versus Austin, there was no, there was no stand up scene or whatever. I mean, I got really, really, really into Letterman, maybe before he moved over to the earlier time slot, but that late night time slot where he, he really, I don't know, it was just so weird and ramshackle and like just the way, the way he told jokes, which wasn't a stand up, it was just this very kind of. It was it, a lot of it was just this personality based thing and just running these, you know, I'm going to say a joke that doesn't really work and then I'm going to run it into the ground and it just gets it somehow gets funnier because you keep it was such a cool, like weird thing. So I think. And then as as I got older, like in high school, starting to see more and more stand up of like, oh, this guy, this guy is 
and it was usually like the alty kind of people like david cross like even before mr show like seeing stuff with him and going i don't know i'm more i connect with that guy more than you know some of the other like you know whatever the 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 dad from just the 10 of us or whatever you know like (laughs) or the the kind of that standard like sitcom kind of guy that made his jump from um you see him a couple of times on late night shows and then they're on, but there was a weird, like there was, a, I tell you what, there was this uh, stand-up special called Rodney Dangerfield's young comedians special on yeah. HBO. Yeah, absolutely. That we taped. And I had like, I think it had like uh, Jeff Foxworthy and Tim Allen and somebody else that got famous. And then a bunch of guys that I never saw again, but they were all like, coked out of their mind it, they all seemed very coked up and sweaty and there was this this guy that was and i've since gone back and watched it and it's the bit is not it's so bad but i had it memorized and he was like i'm david Slee's punk magician and it was just this horrible thing <laughs> but it was just so like i don't know there, there was just an energy about it because it seemed kind of weird and that like that particularly that particular special because it was shot in a comedy club as opposed to like a lot of that like carson uh leno even like letterman when a stand-up came out it felt so formal but seeing like those weird sweaty dudes kind of like because there was like you know that those those late night show appearances are so like they work out. I mean, from I know from friends that have done it and stuff, it sounds like they really work out every every pause and every, you know, it's and it's it's six minutes. But that like young comedian special was so like everybody had like, you know, 10 minutes and some of those minutes were real fucking loose. And like it was de- it was definitely like a weird thing of like watching that and go like, oh, man, that's that's super cool. That guy seems so weird. Although I liked all the weirdos a lot, you know, like the emo Phillipsy kind of guys and stuff. You you do um, with Avery Moore, who's a yeah. comedian there in Austin. You guys, uh, <laughs> you guys have a distillation of seemingly all of your interests, right? Yeah. It's music and it's comedy and it's the 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 heavy religious yeah. influence. Um, tell me a little bit about how the McEwens came to be. Uh, well, Avery, so I like I said, I got into comedy probably about 10 years ago, but Avery, I, I just got really, she's, she was one of my favorite comedians in town and I knew her, but not super well, but she was just, she's just so funny. She's so good. What do you like about her style? Nobody is doing, does it exactly like she has a real different take on it and it's super fun. And it just, it's that genre. Her standup is very like, to me, kind of genre bending as far as stand up. And it just clicks these boxes that sometimes like when you see a movie or hear a song, like, did this get written for me? Cause this is really like, <laughs> this is just, this is a weirder bit, but her singing a song about, a, a it's like a, a Toby Keith song about a frog that discovers a hidden t- book of the Bible and it, but it's wrapped up in this just way that like, that's such a weird concept that you could see a a Saturday night like we just came to laugh at things that sound like you know Jim Gaffigan or whatever. You could see a crowd not getting that, but she's able to package that weirdness in a way that like a crowd will latch onto, which I think is so fucking cool. Because there is a there is there is like a genre of comedy like I'm gonna be weird, and if the audience doesn't get it, then fuck them. I'm over their heads, and like she definitely doesn't doesn't do that. Like, and there may be, it may go over some people's heads, and it may be too weird for some people, but it's still like kind of still really fun for most people. Like, you don't have to like have like studied Mr. Show sketches and listen to hardcore records because there are certain comics out there that are like it's comedy, but only if you've you know seen the right movies or whatever you need to have the secret password in order to yeah and i and i definitely probably started out with that sort of attitude like i'm going to be very esoteric and edgy and realize like "Ah, i don't want to i want it to be good too like you know but yeah but so i remember like 
just kind of reaching out to her and going like, and I didn't even know she had, I didn't even know where she grew up or anything like that. Like, I mean, we just kind of casually talked to Barsha. I was like, man, I've got this idea just for these two youth minister types. I mean, it's just very based on like growing up in a Baptist church and they don't have kids and they are obsessed with kids because there was always these like youth minister most of them had kids but like I just remember this youth minister lady who was just weirdly obsessed with like the dating life of junior high kids and like really (laughs) knew a lot about it and really buttoned up to the point of like they're gonna break but also just this and not evil people too because I and I think coming coming along with it too, like I think it's also pretty easy. There's a whole genre of comedy of like, hey, guess what? Religion is bad. And like, oh yeah, no, and you're I'm with you, but you're not like I I heard Bill Hicks talk about that when I was, you know, like 25 years ago. I don't think like I don't think even the most aim, mainstream audience is like, no, we're aware of uh we're, we're aware of these ideas. You're not going to shot, but I like, but I, I like the idea of these where it's not completely dunking on it, but there is this whole world of like aspects of like that goofy Christian where it's making fun. It's somewhat making fun of the religion, but it's more making fun of those people and how weird they are because there are like normal people in these religions that don't upset, you know, there are people in the Baptist church that aren't obsessed with, you know, the the breakup that happened between these two eighth graders and that like, aren't doubling down and trying to be like cool teens or whatever. Cause that was the thing too, like, Hey guys, let me rap with you at, uh," and you're like, I don't know, you're 40. I don't think you rap with anybody, man. (laughs) I think you, you can talk to kids, but just because you turned your baseball hat backwards doesn't mean you're like, you get it. <laughs> there was this, uh, and you can find it's called Terror in the Toy Box. It's on YouTube. And it's just these, it's this one, it's these two guys. And one is dressed in a suit and is very buttoned down. And he's got this like blonde, sandy hair and these big teeth and he's just this kind of real goofus guy who kind of talks like this. And then the other guy is this like coked out, like he's got like a disco shirt on. This was shot in the, like the, the early, early eighties. And he's got this like unbuttoned disco shirt and a little bit of hairy chest and a gold chain. And he's got like, he's got curly hair and like big sideburns. And the video is them taking out every toy that was out. So literally like every existing like Star Wars figure and and He-Man figure and G.I. Joe and My Little Pony and then a bunch of the ones that like aren't as famous anymore, like Sectars. There was this guy called Sectars that were like uh, insect dudes. And they're taking them out and they're reading like the little the back of the card that'll have like, you know, uh, beast man is Skeletor's right-hand man. He's angry and smells bad. And they'll like read that and kind of try and figure out like, how can we spin this into something that's demonic and, and, and explain to everyone. And it's, it's, it's so insane. Like, it, again, it's like just the, the humor behind that, that they, they don't see it at all, but they've spent it's what they have there is every kid's dream at that time of it's like every toy. And, and it's so insane that they're reading the back of, of you know orco from he-man and trying to <laughs> decipher what about it is that has made this literally evil for kids they literally think that within this piece of molded plastic that there is a a demon like a, a fiery netherworld uh demonic entity and if you have this in your house that somehow that there's a, a and i don't know if, you know there's a lot of money to be made in that world which trickles down to the later years of like that kind of Christian hardcore stuff. Like, man, people made a lot of money and I don't know. I mean, there was a business acumen that they had that like, man, it really, and, and, and I think, you know, making, making sure you're, you're scared of all the other music was a big part of that too. But there's a whole world of it's everything that's regular but it's the Christian version of it. 
And part of the deal with all that is you have to make the other thing seem like it's awful and it's, you're, you're going to go to hell with it. And, and then the other thing too, is like, yeah, most of that Christian version is just for whatever reason, like it's not, it's not good. <laughs> like it's not, you know, other than like gospel stuff, like, like, you know, R and B. I mean, there is a world of stuff that's really, that's great. That's come out of that, but I don't know, man, for rock, it, it never, I don't think it ever quite, I don't think it ever quite clicked. So yeah, definitely the McEwen's I think kind of goes into that where like, it's, it was weird and confusing in kids. And now it's just kind of funny and it's, 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 it's hilarious to me. Like, it's just so funny. The idea that like, we're going to try to do all the same stuff that they're doing, but we're going to do this, <laughs> this alt version of it. That's very twisted. It's just bizarre. It's just like the lack of like, you go, you go to all these gas stations and like, or truck stops between in Texas. And there's this <laughs> insane genre of these clay, there's some sort of like, you know, smelt material and then painted on and it's crucifixes, which, okay, a little weird. This religious item is in a gas station, but whatever. But like, there's a whole subgenre of like, okay, it's a cross, but it looks like it's made out of leather. And then there's two like old school, like Colt 45s, like hanging on the edges of the cross. And then it just says cowgirl in the middle and it, what does that even like what does it even mean there's one that it's it's a i saw it has like a it's a crucifix and then there's barbed wire around it and then just a giant horse in the middle and it, it was so like wow that's uh what is it what does that mean like i can't i i need like if you feel anything about religion like you you if you care about that book and that religion so much, this should be so blasphemous to you. It should be just horribly blasphemous. Like the cowgirl with cat like guns. Like it's so blasphemous, but it's it would never be thought of as that way. And it's so funny to me. Um, there's a lot of fertile ground there for sure. It plays really well to your musical talents, but also your comedic chops. And your comedic chops also then transfer into podcasting, which I want to talk about oh, a little yeah. bit. Um, but let me reset one more time real quick okay. because um, we've gone on for a little bit. Today, we're talking with musician, actor, comedian, and podcaster, Mike Wiebe. Mike appears on the weekly roundup of weird stories known as International News Service, and he co-hosts, along with uh, Zach Blair, a show called Zach and Mike Make Three, which honestly, Mike, is one of my favorite shows right now. Oh. I want to talk to you about that. I want to pick up on that. Um, first, tell people a little bit about what that show is. And then I'm curious specifically about how, what, what, about what you like about this medium and whether you feel like it allows you to exercise your creative muscles differently. Well, I mean, definitely the medium was, uh, I think you can probably attest to this too. Like it, it was just necessity in the last year where I was like, I want to do something. Yeah. I want to feel like I'm doing anything and like recording. <laughs> I've written a lot and I've recorded a lot, but that's there's definitely not like a lot of like this is happening right now moment that is with like live stuff with performing so i think like podcasting is a little bit closer to performing than writing and recording because writing and recording is great but it's it's not like you just i mean i don't i'm definitely not someone who is a first taker uh, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> nailing stuff on the first take. And I like to experiment a lot and go back and stuff, but podcasting for the most part, you know, there's little edits here and there, but you're kind of just like throwing it in there. So, I mean, I definitely wanted to do radio when I was a kid, but like weirdly Denton, it, which is like a music school, they have a thing where 90, I believe 90% or maybe like 95% of the radio station had to be jazz all the time because it's a jazz school and like the alumni have it. So there was one in it was like, I, I kind of grew up listening to, I don't know if it was like the cool, like I was like, I would listen to a lot of jazz, but there wasn't like a cool college radio. And there definitely wasn't any opera. Like I'll, I'll hear people from other towns that were like, oh, I always wanted to do that. And then you, you there was just like a lot of opportunities in other towns. Like you could, 
and I went to school for a while at UNT and I even like looked into it and they're like, nah, man. And you can, you can intro shades of blue in B flat <laughs> by Chicky Boom Boom and the Boom Boom Boys. Um, but I didn't even get to do that, you know, but, uh, but yeah, podcasting is super, it's definitely the way of the future and the way that you can like, I like doing a lot of stuff. And I like kind of the DIY aspect of it, but man, I do not know the business acumen, especially the business acumen for marketing things. So it's such like a weird, like it's easy to feel, what am I doing? How, how do yeah. I, how do I connect with people? But yeah, the Zach and Mike make three would just kind of came about from both Zach and I listened to tons of podcasts and I did, I'd done a podcast for about a year that, I liked a lot, but it also required a lot of homework. So I wanted when Zach was like, let's do something. I was like, yeah, but I don't, I don't want, I don't want homework. I don't want to, I don't want to have to, and not that I don't mind like working on it, but it was like a good way. And I do, we kind of stumbled on the idea of we can interview people, but I feel like you can get to know people a little bit more by just asking them three things that they're into. So you just find out three things. And, you know, like when we had like Stefan Edgerton from the descendants on, it's like, I'm sure there's a, a lot of interviews where he talks about the descendants and guitar and guitar tone, which I'm all about listening to, but it was cool. Like this is going to be the one that he talks about board games. Like I guarantee you, he doesn't have anything about board games on anything like that. And that can like launch, you know, into a rabbit hole about, I don't know, a, a really random thing. And there's like a dumb story that you can relate to, but, but everybody's played board games and it is, it is cool to think about like, Oh man, guitar player for the descendants is super into board games. I, one of the things I love about podcasts is getting to take away stuff that people that I think are cool think are cool. Like yeah. what is so-and-so into? And I love that. And so you guys have basically created an entire show around that idea. Like let's get interesting people on the phone and then find out the cool shit that they're into. Yeah. It's like writing sort of in that, like you just kind of have to do it. And then you start to figure out like, Oh, that didn't work. Oh, that worked. Okay. That worked. And they're weirdly, they're weirdly more effort than you would think. And they're also easier to like, it was such a, it was such a dump. Like for the longest time I was like, man, needs a really high concept idea <laughs> or whatever. And just at, at some point, like it was like, Oh, this is by doing this really easy thing. It's actually kind of different. I think, you know, I mean, there's probably some podcast out there like that. That's the other thing too, is realizing that like, yeah, no, somebody it's like the Simpsons. There's, there's, there's a Simpsons right. joke for whatever joke you write there's a Simpsons did a version of it and you just kind of have to accept like, well, if I'm not directly stealing from it, I can live with myself, but it's personality based too, because like, even at the end of the day, if you're inner, if you, when you're interviewing somebody, you have a different, you're bringing a different thing. That's drawing a different thing out of, out of the person than other people would too. And that's something with stand up that I started to figure out. There's definitely subjects that have been covered, but I don't know. Maybe I have something new to say on airplane food. I don't, but maybe, maybe one day I will. And that'll be okay. Cause it'll be coming out of, out of me. You studied film too. And I know I'm jumping around a little bit, but you studied film too, right? You went away to yeah. college to study film. What did you take away that you use now either for your music, for your performing on stage, for the McEwens, for podcasting? Did you learn something studying film that helps with your creativity now well i think that so i went to the college of santa fe and i actually went on a theater scholarship i i always i mean i i went in knowing like oh, i'm gonna double and and do film and i did that for several years until uh some money ran out and stuff and the and and maybe a little bit of my brain broke too but um I just thought I'm, I'm pretty bad about not having like an end game for stuff and like with McEwen's or even like stand up where I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do this thing at 35 and I'm going to put a, a chunk of effort into it. But I have no like I'm not like a, and then I go to, and then I become a feature and then I become a headliner. It's just like these, these things are like I really like this and I like the idea of getting better at it. And then maybe and I, I can say that I have gotten better at those things, you know, I'm I'm, I'm not 
uh, you know, amazing at any of it, but I, I, I'm better at it. And that feels super cool. It feels cool to get better at something. So I didn't really have an end game with that, but same with film. It's like, I really, I love film. And I particularly was like, well, I went in, I wanted to act more for film because at the time I was kind of like, I have a way more of an appreciation for theater now than I did then. I was just kind of like forced to do it because that was going to be my way to, to shoot and do stuff. And I've definitely been somebody like, well, there's all these gatekeepers for a lot of stuff, even for like getting, you know, which is great about Denton because there weren't gatekeepers for getting booked for music. You just did it on your own. Definitely for acting. There's a ton of gatekeepers and a lot of it is way out of your control because you look, we want, you know, we want to get this kind of actor and then we're just going to wait and settle for the second best version of that. And I've, I've, I've maintained acting and I've, I've gotten some work and I go out for stuff, but I don't know that I have like, a, I don't know what my look is exactly. So it just, I, I don't know. So I figured like, you know, I got to make stuff on my own and I don't, you know, there's, you just have to do stuff on your so a film was a big part of that like it'd be cool to like write and make and do stuff on my own and and it's very expensive it's the most expensive medium you can do anything and it's cheaper now than it was back then i mean back then it was it was so expensive now now you can do stuff a little bit easier but it's still very expensive but it's really come in so handy for like shooting video stuff and i love making music videos and like working on that sort of thing and just doing shorts. Um, I mean, I like every, not everything, but I like big, dumb current blockbusters with, you know, CGI robots and shit like that. And then I like, like old French stuff and, you know, that I have to like, that you feel like sometimes is actually, I will say that a lot of times these really classic movies that you think are, oh, this is going to be such a chore to sit through are actually really really good and then there's a lot of stuff in between but like you know i'm not going to say everything on the criterion channel is a complete treat and that there isn't some work to get through that but um and i've always just kind of i think for all these all these things doing all these things i've always just liked the idea of that they're hopefully all bringing up each other a little bit to where like i think stand-up definitely made me a better performer at music like it made me appreciate silence more it made me appreciate like tension building and stuff like that like we talked about and that kind of weirdly trickled into sound songwriting of like you know the idea of tension you know loud quiet loud and and building and stuff like that that's something that like i mean i think maybe starting out music it just like it needs to be loud and fast the whole way through and um and i still appreciate that at a certain time but just getting to appreciate that other stuff you can learn a lot and you can watch a lot and and kind of get your vocabulary but it's kind of like having like really good guitar players like it is such a collaborative thing that you got to get a good like camera dude who knows how to speak you know how to play those chords through the camera and sound mixing and all these other little pieces um it's such like a huge expensive outfit, you know. Are you able to enjoy movies without deconstructing them? I mean, I'm a I'm a film nerd too, and so I I break stuff down that way. But especially on the writing end, right? Because my yeah. background is as a writer, it's almost hard for me to draw pleasure out of reading like a novel anymore because all I can do is deconstruct it and. Uh, that word choice isn't exactly right. Yeah. They didn't frame this exactly right. And with movies, it can be that way too, where you go, well, why did they, why did they make this decision as opposed to just being able to get swept away with it? Are you still yeah. able, even though you know how the sausage is made, are you still able to get swept away by it? I, I think it depends. I mean, I think maybe there's some stuff that you miss out on with that but there's still definite moments where you see something new that's just so cool and exciting and you can think like i ah, would have this choice or that choice that whoever made in the movie you 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 can deconstruct that but i don't know if something's new the best thing i can say about a movie now is like i never knew what was going to happen even if it's yeah. the, that's that's always such a 
refreshing thing. And that's what really impresses me a lot. And, um, but I don't know, there is a, I think there's coming into each thing with a different level. Like I just watched that movie, um, Chaos Walking. It's like, um, just like a big budget sci-fi movie. And it, it definitely, most of it is paint by big budget sci-fi movie numbers. But I think maybe I went into it going, this is going to be a big budget paint by numbers thing. So I'm not going to get too critical of it. And I'm, and I, I went in needing like a, a three on entertainment, knowing that I was, you know, that it wasn't going to be like a 10 and it gave me like a five. So it was cool. Awesome. There's real value in going into stuff looking for things to like. I mean, I think this is true for life. And yeah, I feel like I'm getting better as I get older about going into things, looking for things to like about it more yeah. so than looking for things not to like for about sure. it. I, I know I just said it's hard for me to read because I'm so critical of people's writing. And that's true also. But I, I do find I'm getting better about like, for instance, not by, by not the greatest movie of all time, but we watched a movie last night. Um, it's kind of a new horror-ish movie called Scare Me. And it's just a little indie horror comedy. Yeah. And it's not perfect. I mean, you can tell there's some limitations. There's some things about it that I would have done differently. And yet it was great. Yeah. And we laughed. And there was a lot that was done with the sound, with sound mixing. Um, it was basically only four people in this movie. Yeah. And they did some really creative shit with sound and after it was over saber and i kind of turned to each other and like wow they got a lot of mileage out of something that didn't cost 60 million dollars in cgi like they really were able to find something that made it unique and made it interesting and made it compelling um and i think when you go into stuff looking for things to enjoy as opposed to looking for things to shit on it just yeah for sure makes everything more enjoyable and i think that like you said as i get older like maybe that is an older thing it's something that you start to because i definitely think about bands that i used to hate and now like i don't really hate anybody i just like oh that's not for me i don't have to and maybe some of it is not only getting older, but living in a day and age where you kind of have to go out of your way to hear things you don't want to hear, you know, whereas I think when I was growing up, like, no, there was there was a radio station and there was CDs. maybe, the, you know, later there was like CDs and stuff, but like MTV, you know, there was we had. I don't know, like 50 channels. And most of those were like news and stuff. There's one music channel. There's one way to see music, to like see music and, and, and hear about new stuff. And it was, I mean, I guess too, with the, like the local alternative station that I, if you're into rock music or MTV and yeah. now like that is not the case. Like, so if you, if you're, you know, if you love Nirvana and you really want to see Nirvana stuff, you have to sit through like, you know, whatever, like new kids on the block or, or I guess in sync or what you have to sit through like all the pop stuff. And then maybe there's just some whatever garbage Nirvana knockoff bands like Candlebox and stuff like that. You have to sit through all this crap and you know about so you know what's popular and what's going on right now. But now, like, I don't there's I don't there's not that gatekeeper. So if you just like. I don't know, let's say Malaysian trip hop and you're, you are super into Malaysian trip hop. Then you have like your Malaysian trip hop station on Spotify and you follow a couple like Malaysian trip hop people on YouTube and and on Facebook and, and Twitter or whatever. And you can just easily not know who Billie Eilish is. You can kind of, you know, like she's famous enough that like I've heard of her, but like, she, my wife was watching that like documentary on her and I was like, I, I know who her, I know who she is. I know what she looks like, but I realized like, I've never actually heard any of this music before. Like, I know she's very yeah. famous, but there's not, you know, like, you know, my grandmother knew who Madonna was, <laughs> you know, and I don't know that there's anybody. Like, I think you could kind of escape not knowing who, taylor swift is right now i don't i know like that song shake 
if the da na 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 shake 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 and i bet there's two other or three other taylor swift songs that if i heard i would go like oh yeah yeah i've heard that song but i'm not being contrarian by not knowing her other stuff like i just like i'm not trying to not listen to her i just like have i have tons of shit coming at me and it's just not this huge mainstream thing. I don't even remember how I got to talking about this it's, stuff. It's a really interesting point because you can, you can kind of curate just like with the news. I mean, you can kind of curate yeah. what it is you want to be fed. And on the flip side, I think for really sophisticated young people, they have access to everything. Like it blows my mind how I'm with you. Like, I don't know that I, I know of Billie Eilish. I don't know that I could name that tune if you played. Like, I don't know if you could play me yeah. one for songs and I could say who that was. On the flip side, if you're a really like savvy and uh, musically passionate person, and especially a young person, you have access to everything. And so I'm blown away at how many young people do know about bands that broke up 30 yeah. years before they were born. And it's yeah. interesting to hear some of those musical influences come out now and you know music that's popular now is created by a generation that had access to napster and yeah. itunes and spotify and everything totally um we should probably wrap this up because i've kept you for a long time but you you seem like somebody that kind of always needs to have a creative project of some kind what are you i mean you've got the podcasts are you are you working on music stuff right now? Are you writing anything else? Yeah, uh, actually, I just came here from my first full band, Dracula's Practice, which was awesome. The first practice in a solid year and a half. I mean, reintroduce yourselves to each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice mustache, Mike. Um, <laughs> yeah, so we have a bunch of stuff written. Um, yeah, so the two podcasts are going writing some Dracula stuff, we're trying to put together like a um, a live stream sort of theater. It's not a live stream, it's not gonna be like a concert. It's gonna be sort of like a theater piece thing uh, to kind of, cause I don't feel comfortable asking people to come see a band inside an enclosed venue for a while. That and Gamblers are both bands that benefit from a standing room close to the stage you know kind of sweaty vibe or whatever um so rather than not do that i would like to kind of present it as this kind of like filmed uh not really theater but not quite concert but not quite it's going to be like a mix of both it's still in, in the works but also recording and then, yeah, just recording, working on new Gambler's music and some solo stuff. And the Gambler stuff has, and the, and the Dracula stuff has a little bit more of like focus. And it's nice the podcast stuff keeps you on a schedule, which is really good too, because it's real easy to kind of just like, I don't know, for me to just kind of work on something and then put it down. I'm very, I've got attention deficit disorder, like pretty bad. And it's, it's, well, it's a, it's a problem. It's a legitimate problem. You're hard on yourself about all this stuff, but I'll give you an alternative viewpoint before we get out of here. And that is, okay. So you don't have a, you know, a business end game in mind for everything that you've undertaken, but here you are now at this point in your life where you've got a really well-rounded experience of things that you've done. I mean, you have learned about theater and film and writing, and you have performed music for most of your adult life. And, yeah. you know, you have done comedy, both stand up and, you know, filming stuff. You, you've, you've had your tentacles and a lot of different things, and it gives you the opportunity to, to be a little more open and um, creative with the projects that you do take on. They don't have to yeah. fit into any particular box. You've got a toolbox that, you know, you can, you know, you can pull on different things. And so it gives yeah. you the freedom to do this creative stuff. How uh, can people follow or connect with you? How do you like to engage with people? Um, Twitter, I like a lot at Mike Weeby. And then I, I finally gave in and started a TikTok account. I, I like Instagram and Twitter are the best, you know, but I get, gave in and started an, a, a TikTok account because, you know, like all this stuff, I don't, things are going to 
change all the time. Like, you know, like how, like we were talking about how people consume music, how people find out about music. That shit's going to change. It's probably going to be completely different from whatever it is now. It's going to be different in a decade. Probably they will be like, it's neural stems or whatever. <laughs> right. Um, right. But I, so at some point, like I definitely don't. And, and with, with TikTok, I was like, look at this garbage. And there is a bunch of things that I think are annoying about it. But that being said, man, it's the easiest way to like edit together a little video thing real quick. And I don't, I don't particularly like the comedy on there at all. Um, yeah. For the most part, I would say I hate the, the comedy that's done on tiktok but there's a bunch of like there's a whole other world of that stuff i just realized like you know what i just don't want to be like the old man i don't want to be the the picture in the simpsons ah bring back the simpsons uh callback of you know there's a there was a some simpsons thing where they showed a picture of grandpa simpson and in the newspaper and he's clenching his fist and it just says under it old man yells at cloud and <laughs> and i i say i say i don't want to be the old man yelling at a cloud a a lot because man things are everything that you learned that i learned about how to do music as far as like not the playing part but as far as like the marketing and business and it's completely different from when the gamblers were like touring all that time so starting the draculas in earnest and now that the draculas uh, are going to be more of a legitimate you know output churning like try to make a business out of this and gamblers are a little bit more of a, ugh, I hate the term, but like a legacy band, you know, because we're probably like, we're probably only going to, it's, we're going to do another record and we'll do some specialized stuff, but I don't think we're going to be out there. Like it's going to be more of a special event when we do a little tour or, or show and stuff like that. So I, I don't know. I'm just like, you know what? I, I don't want to shoot anything down just because kids are doing it because that's going to, you know, at the same time, I also don't want to be the embarrassing, uh, the other <laughs> meme of uh, uh, Steve Buscemi with a skateboard on his back saying, hello, fellow children. Like, yeah, I don't want to do that either. There is trying to figure out how to to gracefully age and do like art that a lot of it is based in youth. And, and maybe maybe some of like trying these other things is like, OK, if I get too old to uh, if it's just a little too sad that uh that mike's you know putting on the skinny jeans and yelling into a microphone maybe he can lean into uh, a borscht belt comedian with the with the bad tuxedo on like you can you can kind of grow old into that mike weeby's the lead singer of the band draculas high tension wires and the riverboat gamblers he's also half of the comedy duo known as the McEwens, and he's co-host of podcasts international news service and zach and mike make three you can get links to all of that and more in today's show notes at charliekeaton.com. Incidentally, charliekeaton.com is also the best way to contact the show. Thanks for listening. More soon. Much love.